welcome to episode 16 of our podcast. I'm Alex, one half of The Sober Experiment. And I'm Lisa, the other half. So this podcast, we are recording it because we were just going to have a conversation and it's about parenting and we've decided we're going to record it and we may or may not release it. And we don't know where it's going to go. We've no idea where it's going to go. It, we never do anyway, usually. I think we, we know it's going to go a little bit, obviously, about parenting, but also maybe touching on our childhoods a little bit, perhaps yours a little bit more, Alex. Yeah, we, and I'm struggling with that, I think. I know, and I think that's why we've not decided. Well, I know it's why we've not decided, because we've just been talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, why it might not be released. So we're going to see how comfortable maybe you are um, at the end of it and to see if it's all right. I think the thing is about this and whether we release it or not is if I can get over the fact that once this is out there, it's out there. Do you know what I mean? Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, if I talk about this, yeah. then you can't untalk about something that you release, can you? No, it's a bit scary, that. So... I think a comfortable place for me to start is how my parenting has changed since I've stopped drinking. And yes. maybe you can talk about that as well. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my parenting's changed a lot, actually. Um, one, and we've actually just been talking about this, haven't we, with me... Uh, Kim. Kim. <laughs> With Kim. Um, For another podcast, by the way, if you're listening to this, it's not ours. So. Yeah. So my kids, when I was drinking, and especially at the weekends, got away with a hell of a lot more. Kind of, um, you know, mum, can I have a quid? Yeah, 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 of course you can. There you go. Go, go to shop. Still do, do that now. Do, do what you want. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's always on a banker. I am on the banker. I won't mind, I don't even put it in my child's account. She, I put it in her mate's account all the time. It's a bit weird. But yeah, I used to kind of be like, yeah, do what you want, really. So what I found is... Why, why is that, do you think? Do you think it's just because... It's not because you don't care about your kids, is it? No, it's because you're busy doing something else. Like, you're talking or you can... You know what... You know what it's like? And I'm sure I am not on my own with this. And it's probably not something that I would have been so open about in the early days. But now I'm further along, like 19 months sober, I look back at things and I remember a lot more. So I can see what my kids got away with and I can see how it used to happen. And I see it with people now. You know, if you go out for a meal and you see people there with children and there's wine on the table and the kids are kind of left to their own devices really it's like oh yeah go outside have a little walk yeah go on that machine do this do that and really what you're doing is it's so you can carry on drinking and talking to your friends and I think you find when you are drinking is you just don't pay attention to your children the same you just don't you're kind of shutting them up without realizing to carry on doing what you're doing and that some people will find really really hard and be ashamed to say but I know I've had my children like, mum, mum, mum. And it's like, yeah, what? Go on, go on, I'm talking, I'm talking. Yeah, I think, well, there's still an element of that anyway when you're a parent, isn't there? Whether you're sober or whether you're drinking. But yeah. it is worse. I think you're right. I, I was talking to my husband actually last night about, I'm really ashamed of this. 
I'm going through a lot of weird emotions at the moment <laughs> surrounding my parenting. But I shouldn't be massively ashamed because I think it's quite normal. But when my youngest, who is four next week, and will be four by the time this comes out, um, he was about two. And we were at a rugby club do, um, myself, my husband and all my kids. Sound like I've got a tribe, three of them. And uh, they were like playing on the on the like cricket and rugby field in front of us. And then the eldest one, who would have been about 13, came over and said, can we take the younger one onto the park? Now, the park is literally next door to the rugby club. Yeah. But you have to go out of the rugby club, turn onto the road and then in. And you know what? We'd let him. And I can't, I wouldn't let him take him out on his own now. Yeah. And I and I know why I did it. It was a case of, oh, yeah, 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 just go and get rid of him, go and do whatever. Yeah, because it's easier, isn't it? And you definitely shouldn't be ashamed of that, Alex, because I know for a fact that happens a lot. And I think it's just, we see it as normal. And what we're realising now in our sober minds is that, you know, it's not that normal to be kind of doing that, but everybody else thinks it is. Do you know what, as well? Um, my my eldest recorded a little video which you've seen and I think I've posted it in the group as well but people have seen it about how uh, different I am since I stopped drinking and you know it will be the first to say and he'll be the first to say that I wasn't an excessive drinker in the week or anything yeah. like that but just in terms of the holiday that we were on he just loved having yeah. attention and you know he's like coming up 15 now and he really enjoyed that attention but the other thing is, and I've talked to you about this, and I really, I'm really struggling at the moment with knowing how to be a parent. And and I'm a good parent. I know I'm a good parent. I love my children. I everything in my life is about my little unit and about my family. But I'm really struggling to find a, a relationship that is normal with my children because. And I love my mum dearly, I do. I really, really love her. And she's a good mum. Yeah. But I don't have... She's quite cold towards me, my mum, and I'm quite cold towards her. And she'd be the first to say, we don't hug, we don't kiss. But my daughter wants to hug and kiss. And I really struggle. And not because I don't want to hug and kiss. I really want to hug and kiss her. But I don't know how to do it. Yeah. And it's... I think a lot of parenting is learnt and cyclical, isn't it? You take what your parents do... And you, you try to make it better, I think, because I think always that's human nature. You want to be... Everybody's got problems with their own childhood, I think. Yeah. Or have they not? I don't know. I don't know anybody that has, like, grown up and said how amazing my childhood was. And I do. Do you? Yeah. But I don't <laughs> know Did you hit <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know whether they just say it, do you know what I mean? Or... But I think it's human nature to want to be better for your children than your parents were for you, even if it was amazing, because you want to do the best for your children. I think sometimes as well, as a parent, you don't realise what affects your children. You know, I know for a fact there's things that I remember clearly from my childhood that... Um, deeply affected me and you know still to this day make me really emotional but when I speak to say my mum about it she's like what that oh that wasn't like that or so children have a very very different idea sometimes of the the it's different perspectives I suppose isn't it and And memories the change yeah and I wouldn't beat yourself up about it with 
your daughter Alex because I think it's a really brave thing to say that and I also think that being aware of something like that is a really really big step to kind of sit there and go you know what actually I'm finding that hard like is that something that you realised before you stopped drinking did or has that come about really in your sobriety with your clarity of thinking oh actually I am finding this hard I think because she's the only girl um, and I've got the really young little boy who Mm -hmm. takes up all my attention when when she was the youngest and when she was on her own she demanded a lot of time and a lot of attention from me and she probably got it and I think there's two things happen I think first of all I had another one and she's got that middle child syndrome where she can be kind of pushed to one side and she's just so good and I'm so proud of her and she's such an amazing individual she's going to be a fantastically strong woman and and she's already a fantastically strong young girl now so I think that sometimes I do what my family did to me and I think she's all right she's strong she's able she can cope she's you know and and I think it's really easy because she's so strong to not see her needs so going back to your question I think yeah it's become more apparent in my sobriety but that has kind of coincided with the fact that I've got the littlest one as well so I'm not sure whether it's because of that or just coincidental but there's definitely a difference in how I feel about wanting to be there for her and wanting to be a good role model for her and wanting to be much more emotionally supportive for her than maybe my parents were for me and maybe that that maybe that has come with sobriety and clarity I think so because actually that's just really got me thinking that my youngest was always like that growing up she was very strong very resilient or I absolutely thought so and as you know when she was about 11 and we went through a really really tough period with her and she wasn't strong and she wasn't resilient and I'm absolutely forever grateful that at that time I chose to stop drinking and see that and be there for her at that Mm -hmm. time do you know what I mean um maybe if I hadn't have stopped I wouldn't have seen it the same but it was always like oh she's fine she's fine and I know knowing you from being 11 years old Alex I know that you was definitely looked at like that you know you you're clever you're you're very talented and I remember (laughs) (laughs) but I do I remember at school that you you know you was really passionate about I've never known anybody be so passionate about homework as you it was a little bit weird (laughs) no it isn't sad it's I now know and tell me if I'm wrong but that that was a way of coping for you with everything that was going on and you know because you did that I think I believe that you were looked at that you was handling stuff because you were doing so well through school whereas maybe your sister dealt with things very differently but you came across then as strong and resilient when maybe you wasn't yeah I think I think you're right I think you know it I don't make it a secret that I didn't... It's really hard for me to talk about this because there's a lot of guilt attached to me talking about this and there's several reasons. First of all, I've got a sister who is only 16 months younger than me and I love her. I love her to absolute pieces. You know how close we were growing up and our lives are very, very different. And 
both of us see our childhood very, very differently. Now, my mum and I was lucky in the sense that my mum and dad, I grew up in that unit. My mum and dad didn't separate, they didn't split up, and I grew up with both of them there. But my dad was a very heavy drinker because of his job. He owned the pubs, my mum and him owned the pubs. He was a, a pub and club entertainer, he played guitar. His whole life from being, you know, younger than 18, I would imagine, um, was revolved around alcohol. And he, he got, te- he, he was taken into that section, that society, yeah. not because he was selfish or, ho- I mean, you, you remember my dad. He yeah. was a very intelligent man. Oh, yeah. He was funny. Yeah. Um, he was hard sometimes and he would say it as it was. He didn't take any prisoners. And he really was what, you know, my mum often says about him that he's a Marmite man and you really did love him or hate him. Yeah. And he didn't care either way. No, he, no, he didn't. <laughs> he didn't care either way. And I was very, very close to my dad and I always wanted to please him. I yeah. always wanted to please him. So when he suggested that I learn the guitar, I wanted to learn the guitar. I remember sobbing my heart out, right, when I was about seven, because I saw him smoke. And I'd obviously seen him smoke before, but he said he'd stopped and then um, we'd gone to a pub and he'd um, he'd had a cigarette. But this must be a long time ago because it was over a meal and started yeah. smoking. And I remember really crying that he was smoking because I just, it, I think for me, looking back at that, it was about controlling the situation and wanting him to be this person I put him on a pedestal yeah I was just going to say that you know I I idolised him and and I idolised him no matter what he did as well and you know there was a lot of really difficult times in my childhood with him and my my mum and and I remember being you know this is why I do the stuff for NACO and anyone who listens to our podcast you will now be able to tell just how nervous I am because (laughs) I'm rambling because I don't know how to word it because of the guilt associated with it because if I say something that is true from my perspective I could upset my sister I could upset my mum and I don't want to do that to my family because they're still very much a part of my life and I love them and I don't want them to feel I'm ungrateful for my childhood because I'm not but it was difficult it was really really difficult and I spent a lot of it scared the thing is Alex this is your truth And I think that's what we've got to put into perspective here. And everybody who knows you knows how much you love your mum, your dad, your sister, you know, your family, everybody around you. But your story is your truth. And how you feel, I believe, is you can't control their reactions to your truth. But I can control whether I put it out for the world. Oh, you can control whether you want to say it or not. But I'm going to be... You know what, Alex? This obviously is completely your decision. But I don't actually think they'll listen to it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they might. But, but they might do. But I really believe that your story will help a lot of people and you really don't have to go too much into it and I know anybody listening is like come on come on come on tell us tell us (laughs) because I would be if I was listening and it's not like that at all and it's only you know that's enough to say you don't have to go into it if you don't want to and I think if you do we can touch on it another time it's completely up to you all I think I want to say is we are now volunteering to speak for NACOA Yes, we are. Okay, and as part of that, I am going to be telling my 
story of my childhood mm-hmm. to help somebody else yeah and I have to decide how much of that I want to reveal whilst maintaining and sustaining my mum's dignity because I don't want to take that away from her we've got to remember my dad's no longer alive so she wants to look at good times and I don't want to leave her with the guilt that I know she already has yeah. she she does already feel guilty we when I was growing up, as you well know, it wasn't abnormal for my mum and dad to be in the pub from me getting home from school until late in the evening yeah. every night. But that was my normal. And people can sit and think, oh, you know, that's that's really sad. That's, you know, and then I'd have a lot of dread because there was a lot of arguments. And I was af- afraid of having friends over in case they saw that my mum and dad fought and argued. Yeah. And... I was afraid of my dad saying something embarrassing um, because I'd wanted everybody to see the man that I knew was underneath that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I didn't want them to know that sometimes he got that pissed that he would say inappropriate things to people or he'd tell my mum to F off or he would... She would hit him and he would hit her back. You know, I don't want... Yeah. I don't want people to judge me or him or my mum for that. Because I am lucky in many respects that, and I know I can, t- I know what you're thinking right now that I'm already, I'm still excusing things. Yeah. But I am lucky in many respects because I had the last ten years of my dad's life with him completely sober, and he did become the man that I knew he was. Yeah, he did. And he, you know, the, he wasn't an abuser or violent or nasty or any of the things that maybe he was when he'd had a drink. He wasn't those things. Yeah. He absolutely loved me. He absolutely loved my sister and he absolutely loved my mum. And that's why she stayed with him. And it doesn't change the fact that during, from me being as early as I can remember until the point at which I left home at 19, it does not change the fact that I saw things that a child shouldn't have to see. Yeah. Does it? No, not at all. It doesn't change it, and you saw it, and it was real to you. It's hard to talk about, because it's the guilt associated with talking about it. That makes me really sad, though. It makes me really sad, and I think this is what might help other people, actually, is that... You should never, ever feel guilty for that. Do you know what I mean? It's... That was your life, and there's going to be other people out there that are in very similar situations. Some people that will be in situations a lot worse. Yeah, much worse. And they're going to be holding on to that guilt. So let me just ask you this, Mm. Alex. What would you say to somebody that was saying that they felt guilty about being in that situation it's not your fault you were a little girl or a little boy and you saw things and you heard things that can't be unsaid unseen and unheard and it and it damages you it really really damages you it's I don't blame this is the, this is the thing I don't blame them because I know that alcohol was the cause of that I always knew that yeah I always knew it and I used to say some horrible things as well um growing up you've heard me say it and this is the thing we'll go back to about school and me being weird and doing homework and revising for tests 
and people used to say, well, what, what do you want to be when you're older? And I used to say, I don't care as long as I'm not like them. Yeah. And that, that was my answer. I hate that. I hate that that was my answer. But as a kid, I didn't care. I didn't care if I hurt them for saying it because that's how I felt. Yeah. And, you know, in, that, that makes me feel really, really bad that that is how I felt. But I think, and what I know anybody listening will pick up on Alex is everything that you say you then add like but I feel really bad but I feel really guilty oh, yeah. but you've just answered that with what would you say to somebody and the first thing you said was it's not your fault and I think mm. I know it's really really hard but as your best friend in the world, I need you to know that it definitely isn't your fault. And for me, you're the most bravest, strongest, wonderfulest, funniest, cleverest person in the whole wide world. And I wouldn't change it. And I hate to think that you feel bad about stuff like that. That's what makes me feel sad. I'm not sad for what happened. <laughs> but, but I'm so sad that you feel really guilty about it and that you're frightened to talk about it. And this is what other people are going to be going through. I know, and that's why I'm talking about it, Lisa. And it's not, and I, and I can't promise that my guilt is going to go away, and I can't promise I'm ever going to feel completely comfortable talking about it. Um, you know, I've, I've got very specific incidents in my mind, very specific visions. They've probably been distorted over time, um, but I've also got lots of happy memories and lots of good memories, and, and I find it really important to draw on them because, like you just said, some people have got it much, much worse than I had it, but that was my experience, that was my childhood, and, and I think that if I can help one other person to either leave a toxic relationship, yeah. knowing the impact it will have on their children. Yeah. Um, because honestly, I used to say to my mum regularly, and I loved my dad, I absolutely idolised him, but I used to say to my mum, why don't you leave him? Why don't you leave him? Because it was a frightening place to be. When you, you know, when, when you're that child that the next door neighbours know what's gone on the night before. Yeah. And you have to walk with your head down just so that nobody will say, I heard your mum and dad arguing. Or when you're that child that hasn't got their bus fare yeah. to go to school. And I know that didn't happen very often to me. But you're late for school and the teacher says, why are you late? And you just make up an excuse it's your fault because you don't want anyone to find out what's happened. Yeah. It's not a nice place to be. And I think that if anybody who listens to our podcast is either a child of an alcoholic, an adult child of an alcoholic, or is in a relationship where this has been happening, you can change it and you can change it for your children and you can change it for you. You can talk about it and you can be open and you know that's why we support NACOR isn't it? That's why we love that charity because we know that they can change the lives of so many people and give them the opportunity and the platform to talk about it. Yeah I think something else you've said that's so important as well is you know you had 10 years with your dad sober and it it just makes me so angry that alcohol is so flipping normalised. You know when we're talking about it now, like, it's just not fair. There's so many other people going through like that. I've been in toxic relationships. I've seen how, you know, me and my husband used to argue 
when drunk over the most ridiculous, stupidest things and the kids will be in bed or they'll be hearing that and it's not all right. Do you know what I mean? And it, and that, it all stems from that, from a drink. No, and it, and it is over stupid things and I remember that the arguments with my mum and dad would happen over stupid things and the next day they wouldn't necessarily even remember it. And me yeah. and my sister used to go around tidying up, emptying wine glasses, washing dishes and other worse things. Yeah. Just so they wouldn't remember the argument from the night before. So, so they we wouldn't even, carry it on. Yeah. So we even knew that it was a drunken argument and a stupid argument. But, we, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in the middle and pleaded, can we stop this argument? Can we stop this argument? And then my dad used to go through phases of saying, right, I'm not going to drink for a month, I'm having lime and soda. And you used to be like, oh, God. Really believe. Really yeah. believe. But also not fully believing that it happened. But that's what I will say about my dad. He was really strong-minded and when he decided he was going to do something, he stuck to his word. He was very honest. He was very truthful. He'd never steal. He never lied. He didn't, you know. Yeah. He, so although he, he was probably what, you know, doctors would say he was an alcoholic. He used to say he was an alcoholic. He died of heart disease and cirrhosis of the liver. Um, but yeah, the 10 years where he was sober just really brought out the best in him and he became the person that I saw when he was sober and I could understand then why my mum stayed with him and why my mum wanted to be with him yeah. because he wasn't a bad person. He was addicted to an addictive substance which thank God I've now given up because yeah. I could see that I could have gone the same way over time and you know and I and I haven't done and I've canned it. I wish a lot of other people in my family had canned it as well, but you know that's not my yeah. decision to make, is it? Can I just say it as well, you know like when everybody was in the pub when you were younger and as children we, we were all in the pub, wasn't we? Nobody else would really see that side. So People are very different, aren't they, in the pub with the mates than when they actually go home and that extra drink maybe has tipped them over the edge a little bit and that's where the arguments start. No, definitely, and I think um, he a lot of their arguments, from what I remember, would be about drink as well. So, yeah. like, you know, my mum would say he'd want to go out at tea time and my mum would have cooked and she'd say, why do you have to go back to the pub now? And then she'd be a bit like, well, if you can't beat them, join them. So, yeah. it, you know, it was like, we've seen somebody, I won't talk about the, the person, but this is the kind of thing. Do you remember when we were working in the pub and there was that guy sat at the end of the bar, let's not mention his name. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say, don't you? And his wife brought his Sunday dinner in. Oh yeah, that Sunday dinner. I feel really <laughs> bad now. <laughs> don't feel bad, go and tell the story what happened. We can't mention names. He was sat at the bar. I was working behind the bar. Um, I was as well, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and obviously he should have gone home for his Sunday dinner. Um, and they literally lived just up the road from our pub. So the next thing, his wife comes in. If you can't be bothered coming home, there's your effing tea. <laughs> and she slams his tea on the table, right. And I remember, this is really bad. Because we're laughing about it. And we laughed about it at the time. So did he. So, um, so did he, yeah. He was just like, <laughs> fuck it, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, she had his grave and all she had his and I remember like she went out and we all went oh bloody hell um, and the dinner were there for a bit and I remember actually going are you going to eat that? because <laughs> <laughs> it looks really nice was it nice? Yeah, it was right good 
I actually know all them people and I'm I'm dreading what may have been done to that tea actually <laughs> because she was ruthless so and so was he it. but they were both drinkers and they used to have right to do's as well you know um and all through alcohol lovely lovely people but after a drink it too much and it just yeah i've been through it myself though you know um you know i've I've obviously been through a divorce and it wasn't the same situation as my mum and dad but in drink we used to fight and argue a lot and you do i don't care what anyone says but you do your normal becomes normal in your life unless you break the mold you will pass that on and you know I'm immensely proud of myself and I know that I shouldn't probably say that but I am immensely proud of myself of course you should say it (laughs) Uh, because I have broken the mould and I've made sure that my children will not see from me what I saw yeah and if I can't give them anything else and yes they've got um, two you know my older two children have got a broken home in many respects but they've got a fantastic stepfather who and they've got a father who's on the scene you know they've got that and you're making me feel really shit about my life right now. <laughs> so I'm not going to lie. Carry on telling us how wonderful it is now. <laughs> it's all right, you had a terrible childhood. We match. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you know, I think that if I've done nothing else for my children, I have broken that cycle and yeah. made sure that they have got a good chance. I'm sure they'll find something to absolutely hate me about one day. <laughs> oh, no, they won't. Um, but anyway... Before we go, I just wanted to share this with you, Lisa, and with everybody else if we decide to put this out there. (laughs) Because um, my mum actually gave me permission the other day to read a letter that we found from my dad. And this was written in about 2002. Um, My dad, to put it in perspective, my dad died in 2009. Um, So this was seven years before he died so this is right at the beginning of his recovery journey a couple of years in and um he had started to write music again and he was sending his music off to recording studios and to producers and he'd actually recorded a song in nashville which had been on the radio out in america so he'd done really well and i just wanted to read this letter to show how he did reflect on his life so is that all right yeah so he says I'd been a drinker all my life since 15 years old. In my teens, I was taught it was big to drink, but you have to wait till you're 18 to poison yourself. As the years rolled on, unknowingly, I became a habitual drinker. I always felt good and did every show to the best up until the later 10 years. As the work came less, the booze came more until I nearly died. This was around the same time as George Best was having trouble, and like George, I was lucky. I have not drank a drop since, nor ever again. This time, I have started writing songs again. These two songs are stories I have written about my life today. Sorry, one second, I have to scroll now. (laughs) So then it goes on to say, the words are important to me. Pandora's box is one that I had written in my sheer horror of September 11th. Just wasting away, I wrote this song about two months ago and it speaks for itself. A line in it, black dog of the bottle. If I can inspire one alcoholic to stop drinking, it's enough. I hope you can use my information to help anybody who is imprisoned by alcohol. In less than two years, I've built a website, placed MP3s on it and fought off drink for good. And he says, I have found a new and better life with no fear of death. And we found that. 
um, a week ago. And um, yeah, I'm inc- I'm incredibly proud. So yes, it wasn't always easy in my upbringing, and the, there is guilt there, and there is some shame there. But I am incredibly proud of my dad for turning things around and I also want to say and want to add that had I not been through what I've been through maybe I wouldn't have stopped myself so hashtag grateful silver lining (laughs) I'm proud of you Alex I'm proud of you as well (laughs) we actually proper looked at each other then it was weird oh I know we're getting a bit weird we keep doing the same things and we're so different. Yeah, we're being very samey, aren't we? We are being very samey and we keep doing these, like, we've started to almost mimic each other with our actions <laughs> and our faces look the same. And Lisa actually said before, oh, Alex, you looked like me on there. <laughs> you did. You know what else is really funny? I love it, though. I really love it. We've just actually been interviewed, haven't we? And when either of us talk, we look and we listen to each other like it's the first time we've ever heard the story. <laughs> like, we look so intently at each other. And then, right, we even know, because I would never have done this at the beginning, but I will play videos back now of us. <laughs> and, we're really, and I sit there, watching them with a big smile on my face. I'm not going to lie, I probably won't listen back to this with a big smile on my face, because oh. it's a bit sad. But, um, well, it's a bit emotional. But you know what, I think that people have said, haven't they, that they find some of our podcasts emotional yeah and some of them funny and that was you you make them cry i know i've got a sad old life Anna. Some oh no believe me you haven't no i haven't but, <laughs> you know what we're always talking about my traumas i bet people are thinking oh my god there's no wonder she drank <laughs> you know what though i think sometimes the traumas come a little bit later you don't realize and i think sobriety as much as it brings you clarity and amazing things it also brings you a lot of memories that sometimes you maybe don't want to talk about or deal with i know myself i've done it a few times myself and thought oh i've not dealt with that and i'm i'm maybe not ready to deal with some of it yeah um so yeah just if you are sober and you are struggling and you're thinking you know what where's this bloody pink fluffy cloud that everyone keeps talking about first i want to say honestly it does come it's worth it it really is worth it and alcohol we use so much to numb things out and forget about it and we do have to deal with things but you don't have to do it all at once you know it's okay to take time isn't it yeah and i think the other thing is that's worth a mention at this point is because we've talked about it today is for the first time sometimes like my like i've just said about my dad he's been dead now for coming up 11 years and i'm starting to grieve again yeah i'm i'm really with you alex i've done weirdly this morning i've done something very very similar um i've been looking at my stepdad and my grandma's picture today and that's kind of what i was saying a minute ago you know where you think you don't have to deal with it just yet and i saw terry's little face today and i was like oh and i'm not it's been like i swear to god it's been 21 years stop saying 20 odd years no it is it's 21 like well best 21 so it's like 22 years in january 
just gone. So it's 22 years. I can't believe we've been alive that you know, long. I can't. And you know what I can't believe is I looked at his little face today. Can I just and, tell you, he did not have a little face. Well, he didn't have a big one. It, it was, was cute. Yeah, it was Oh, he had a cute. lovely smile. Well, shut up and let me say it. <laughs> You've had your moment. <laughs> so I looked at his little face today on this picture and I just thought, oh... You're really not here. And it's been 22 years and it, oh, with that realisation, like, and then looking at my little grandma. But, um, yeah, so things come a little bit later and I think, but I'm not ready yet, so I'm, I'll deal with stuff in a bit. <laughs> Why does that happen? Why, why after all them years? You know, like, we, we've talked about this before with Terry, um, your stepdad, and... First of all, I, can't, I really genuinely can't believe it's been that long. I know, it's crazy. It's, like, it? ridiculous. But second of all, where does that... Why does that grief come back round? Because I remember you were distraught at the time. And you obviously remember, I met you up the street and I was like, oh, I couldn't even breathe when my dad yeah. died. Could I, you were holding me up. Yeah. Why Why do you have to go through it again in sobriety? I, do, I don't know, I can't answer it. Do you think it is because, right, and I'm not answering the question because I don't actually know, but do you think it is because alcohol, or even if you don't drink every single day to block things out, over time, because it stays in your system for so long, it just takes the edge off the pain. And when it's gone, yeah, that uh, that pain rises again. I think as well, at times like that, we're, we're brought up to think that, you know, drinking's normal in situations like that. So if somebody around us, close to us, dies, the first thing people do is have a drink. Like, it's on television, isn't it? There's a whiskey or, the, you know, there's a hard drink yeah, to deal with. Yeah, sit down and have a drink, yeah. Yeah, like, and that's what's given to people and I think that's what we're led to believe. So we have a drink, like, instantly and at funerals, you know, we all have a drink at a funeral. So as much as you think you're dealing with something and you're upset and you might be crying and then you're getting drunker and then you're crying when you're drunker but you're not really doing it are you because the alcohol is actually numbing it to some extent so yeah. then you've got to deal with it at some point I know but it really doesn't trump me now should it <laughs> not like 22 10 years 22 years like that's taking piss a bit <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know what? It's good that we can have these conversations, isn't it? Yeah. It's good that we can have these open conversations, that we can talk about the past, that we can deal with the past. Because I feel like I've had therapy now. Do you? Were, were I like a counsellor? Yeah, you were pretty good, sweet Tom's shop. Yeah, maybe not then. <laughs> we'll hide that counselling certificate, shall we? Yeah, And um, please, if there's anybody listening and wants counselling, don't come to Lisa because she will just say to shut up. Oh, I would not. I know you wouldn't. Oh, look, she's all offended now. I am offended because you know what? If you do need me, I will find time for you, I promise. Can I just say in seriousness, right? She does find time. There's so many people just message Lisa <laughs> randomly and she just like... She's just got so many conversations on the go. On. I, so have, so, I have actually got so many conversations, but you know what? I like it. It takes my mind off my own shit. <laughs> <laughs> Full circle podcast. Oh, oh, you're so brave. I'm I am proud of you, and and I am grateful for you being my counsellor. Right. Let's see if this goes. If you're listening to this, it means it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're not, you never knew in the first place. It's <laughs> yeah. a secret podcast. Yeah, a secret one to come out. One day. Yeah. Maybe never. It'll come out. I See you soon. Bye. <laughs>